You brought your Bible, but 2 Corinthians chapter number 4 is kind of the main spot we are going to be at. And uh, if you are a guest, and uh, from my perspective, uh, everyone's a guest, so come back and hear uh, Pastor Cox. And I appreciate him and his friendship and his family, and I know you do as well. So um, if this is your first time here, welcome, number one. It's mine, well, not my first time, but I, it's, uh, I'm a guest here too. So you come back and hear uh, Pastor Cox. You'll enjoy getting to know him and his family. 2 Corinthians chapter number 4, and I'll just read down through uh, a few of the verses here, and then we're going to, um, like I said, we'll be in several different places tonight. So 2 Corinthians 4, let's just start reading in verse number 1. And if I, um, if I stop kind of in between, um, I might just have a little bit of, um, well, we'll see how it goes. All right, verse 1. Therefore, seeing we have this ministry, and I think that's an important thought, that word ministry. Seeing we have this ministry as we have received mercy, we faint not, but have renounced the hidden things of dishonesty, not walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, committing ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost." in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. For we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, hath shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. Let's ask the Lord for His help. Lord, we thank You for the privilege to be able to gather together, as has been mentioned. Uh, Lord, we think of uh, even uh, places in our own nation and other countries where um, they have been stopped in their services or not allowed in their services. We think of those in China who are being arrested and told to recant or else tortured. Lord, we're, we're thankful for what we have, but Lord, we do ask that you'd be with those brothers and sisters and help them and strengthen them. And Lord, may we look at this passage tonight and, and with all that is going on in the world uh, that we live in, and even in our state and in our city, I pray that you'd give us some wisdom. And thank you for the song selection, Lord. I, I believe that you ultimately have help in that and talking about happiness and our attitudes in those things. So, Lord, I just pray that you'd mend and mold these things together, and we'll be grateful and help us, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so um, I want you to, uh, if you have one of these little ribbon hanging downy dealies, put it in 2 Corinthians 4, because I want you to look at 2 Peter chapter number 1. 2 Peter chapter number 1. 2 Peter chapter 1. Now, the cross-reference, um, and if you don't know what those are, if you've got um, like verses that, you know, like there's letters and it looks like algebra in your Bible and they're referencing all these other verses, those are cross-references and it just helps you to kind of gain some understanding, some, some help in interpreting uh, what the verse is talking about and maybe gives you some context. The cross-reference that I think about when I'm reading 2 Corinthians chapter number 4 is all the way back in the Old Testament in 1 Kings chapter number 19. Now, what's going on in 1 Kings chapter number 19? Well, um, 
Again, you need some context. 1 Kings 18 is Elijah up on Mount Carmel. You you uh, might remember some of that. He's dealing with those 450 prophets of Baal. And he's gone up there. And you know, if you've read the story, maybe in Sunday school, or maybe you've read it recently, or just it's kind of in your mind, he uh, makes a challenge, right, to to God's people, to the nation of Israel, that uh, why are you halting between these two opinions? Why are you uh, trying to serve God and trying to serve idols? And so these prophets of Baal, and by the way, remember Ahab and Jezebel, Bell, <laughs> don't you just get a, like a little bit of a uh, anger in your, you know, in your spirit when you hear those two names? They have, um, they have treated the prophets of Baal, false gods. They've treated them well. In fact, they're uh, sitting at the king's table and getting the king's meat, and, and they're kind of the privileged. If you want to talk about um, government-sponsored religion, it was Baal worship during that time in the nation of Israel in 1 Kings chapter 18. So Elijah goes up to Mount Carmel and he is challenging 450 prophets of Baal. You remember, he builds that altar, and, and the Bible talks about how he lets the prophets of Baal go first, and they're, you know, they're jumping up and down, and they're trying to cause their God to wake up or you know, come back from hunting or whatever those things that Elijah kind of... Um, does anybody like sarcasm other than me? Uh, you know, a little bit of uh, digs in there. Uh, and then, you know, they're kind of going all day. And the Bible says in 1 Kings 18 that about the time of the evening sacrifice, and by the way, no one was really doing the evening sacrifice to the Lord, but about that time, Elijah rebuilds the altar. You remember, he digs that trench around the altar, and they get the water, and they pour the water all over the, the sacrifice. And Elijah prays that amazing prayer, and boom, fire comes down from heaven, and it consumes the sacrifice, consumes the altar, takes up all the water around there, and um, uh, that's a pretty good answer to prayer. And he commands that the people who have now decided to trust the Lord and follow the Lord, that they would go and pursue after the prophets of Baal, the false prophets of Baal. So that's one of those um, mountaintop experiences, you know, in, in Christian life. You, man, prayers are being answered, and, and God just answers in a miraculous way, and it's just, hey, you're on cloud nine. Well, the very next chapter, 1 Kings chapter 19, uh, Elijah gets some word that one woman, one woman <laughs> has it out for him, and so he turns tail and runs. Now, he's just ha- had God answer mightily over 450 prophets, false prophets, and one woman threatens his life, and he turns tail and runs. And so he comes from the mountaintop experience and down to what we might call the valley. And if you have read 1 Kings 19, you know that there's a, there's a, a passage in 1 Kings 19 where Elijah is feeling sorry for himself, and he thinks that he's the only prophet of God, and he makes the statement, I, even I only, am left. And I might encourage you sometime this week to read 1 Kings 19 and count how many times there's a personal pronoun, I, me, my. Elijah's focus becomes all about him. Okay, so we just read 2 Corinthians chapter 4. We're going to get back to that. But I want you to look at a couple of verses here in 2 Peter chapter number 1 and just to remind ourselves about some of these truths. So look at 2 Peter 1 and verse number 1. Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to them that have obtained like precious faith with us through the righteousness of God and our Savior Jesus Christ, grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus Christ, or Jesus rather, our Lord. Now notice verse number three. According as his divine power hath given unto us, how much? What's the word? All, right? All things, all things what? That pertain unto what? 
life and godliness, notice, through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue. What is he saying? God has given to you and to me all things that pertain unto life and godliness. Now, how has he done that? Through this book. All right? So I can understand and I can learn all things that pertain to my life, to your life, and to godliness, to living a godly life through what his word says. So in other words, we might say it like this. We can go to God's word for the answers to life's problems. We, if, if I'm dealing with some issue, um, even some, and here's where we're going to get to tonight, even some issue that might be clinically diagnosed as something else, God says his word has the power and the ability to answer that issue, that problem. All things that pertain to life and godliness are found in this book. Now, the problem for you and I comes when I don't know what the book says. And so I will begin to go to other sources, other resources, other outlets to try to find answers for the problems that I'm having. You understand when, whenever we do that, we're in trouble. We're setting ourselves up for trouble. All right? So let's go back to 2 Corinthians chapter number 4. 2 Corinthians chapter number 4. And the reason why I reference back to 1 Kings chapter 19 is because Elijah in 1 Kings 19 is dealing with what we might call in our day and time depression. Now, um, I don't know if any of you in this past year have been a little bit depressed or a little bit bummed out about what's been going on uh, in our world, our state, our city, but um, I have a church full of people who are um, struggling with a lot of different things. And going through a lot of different emotions. And so this study came out of trying to help them as their pastor. And it just was um, helpful to me. It was helpful to them. And I'm, I'm hoping that it's helpful to all of us once again here tonight. So 1 Corinthians 4, look at verse number 1. Therefore, seeing we have this, and the word there is ministry. Now, what's the ministry that we're talking about? Well, look back at chapter number 3. Chapter 3, 2 Corinthians, look at verse number 1. Do we begin again to commend ourselves, or need we, as some others, epistles of commendation to you, or letters of commendation from you? Ye are our epistle written in our hearts, known and read of all men. For as much as ye are manifestly declared to be the epistle of Christ, ministered by us, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not in tables of stone, but in fleshly tables of the heart. And such trust have we through Christ to Godward, not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think anything is of ourselves, but our sufficiency is of, notice, of God, who also hath made us able ministers of the New Testament, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter killeth, but the Spirit giveth life. But if the ministration, here's a reference to ministry, if the ministration of death written and engraven in stones was glorious, so that the children of Israel could not steadfastly behold the face of Moses for the glory of his countenance, which glory was to be done away. Now notice verse 8. How shall not the ministration of the Spirit be rather glorious? For if the ministration of condemnation be glory, much more doth the ministration of righteousness exceed in glory. Paul is telling the church at Corinth, listen, if the... Old Testament Jew could glory in, in the Ten Commandments and in the law, and they saw Moses' face. If you remember that, as he comes down off of the mountain, he had to veil himself because the glory of the Lord just was shining. He was reflecting the glory of the Lord. If they could rejoice over that, and that's the law, 
Don't you think that you and I now who live on the, the, in the dispensation of grace, if we want to call it that, don't you think that we have a much better ministry? We're not having to obey this, this law in order to gain favor with God. No, we come by grace through faith of Jesus Christ. And then He enables us to be able to do what it is He wants us to do. He helps us to live the life of obedience. So this, this ministration is so much better than the Old Testament, the, the, the ministration of the law. Okay, so then chapter 4, verse number 1 again. Therefore, seeing we have this, here's the word, ministry, as we have received mercy, listen to what he says, we faint not. That word faint there is an interesting, interesting word. It, it means uh, to, to kind of um, to be out of life, out of energy. It is uh, akin to you, you are so overwhelmed by uh, the things of life that you, you just can't, I can't even drag myself out of bed. I can't uh, get out of my house to go and do the things that I, I need to do. The ministry, chapter 3, is a God-given opportunity. And verse 1 of chapter 4, as we have received mercy, we faint not. We're not utterly spiritless. We're not wearied. We're not exhausted. Okay, so notice then, if we're going to use the word faint that Paul uses, and I think this is an easy correlation, if we're going to use the word faint to give us some understanding about what we might call in our day depression, all right, and and those are the the same idea, Then notice what he says in verse number 2. How do I get out of this depression or this funk that I'm I'm in? How do I have joy in the Lord? How do I experience the happiness that we sang about in a couple of songs then this evening? How do I experience that? What what is hindering me from doing that? Look at chapter 4 and verse number 2. But have, now notice with me, there's three things in here. But have, first of all, renounced the hidden things of dishonesty. Here's what causes depression in your life and in my life, when I am dishonest. When I will not deal in the things of life in honesty, I will try to hide things. I will try to cover up the wrong things that I've done. When I start to deal in dishonesty, guess what happens? I get guilt in my life. You know what guilt brings? Depression. It causes me to, verse 1, to faint in the ministry that God has given to me. And uh, time out. We're not talking about full-time ministry. We're talking about the ministry that all of us have, all right? Ministering to those coworkers, family members, friends, neighbors, at church, wherever. I've been given this. You've been given this ministry, and it can cause me to faint if, number one, I'm dealing dishonestly. If I am doing things in my life and, and I've covered up things that I don't want anybody else to know. Um, by the way, did you know that God already knows what you're doing? Yeah. He already knows. And so you're not, uh, you're not pulling the wool over his eyes. You, you might be doing that with somebody else, but not with the Lord. Okay, so back to verse number two. Dishonesty causes me to faint or have some depression. Notice the second one, not walking in craftiness. Right? That, that word craftiness is, is again interesting. And you see uh, a correlation to, um, you remember Genesis chapter number three, now the serpent was more subtle than every beast of the field. It's the same basic idea of craftiness 
with Genesis chapter number 3 and verse number 1, and there's an equation there with Satan himself. How does Satan act? He acts in craftiness, wiliness. I am trying to um, trick others. I'm trying to um, coerce others in some way. I don't want to deal in craftiness. Again, back to verse number 2. Nor, here's an important one, nor handling the word of God deceitfully. All right, so I've got three things that Paul says will cause you and me to faint, to, to be depressed, to struggle with, with even the ministry that God has given to me. Whatever, however big or however small that might be, I need to be honest. I need to not be crafty or deceitful in what I'm doing. And I need to handle the Word of God in a proper manner. Right? I'm not trying to use the Word of God against um, what I might think of as a bad opinion. I'm trying to find a verse to use out of context so I can you know, rail down insults or frustration on somebody else. That's handling the Word of God deceitfully. Right? So all of those things, here's what it causes. It causes guilt in my life, and I will begin to, verse 1, faint, be depressed, get in a funk, however you want to describe that. So look again, verse 2. Let's read the whole verse. But have renounced the hidden things of dishonesty, not walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the, what's the word? The truth. So all of those other things were all lie, right? But if I handle the word of God and if I will live my life in truth, the manifestation of the truth Notice, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. I realize I can't hide what I'm doing. God already knows what I'm doing. By the way, He knows what I'm doing before I'm going to do it. He knows why I do what I do. And so I need to live my life in the view of you all, or whoever I I'm, I'm have influence over, or whoever I'm around, I need to live my life in front of you as if, God was standing right there. Um, don't raise your hands. Anybody struggle with doing that? Mine are back to you. Yeah, we all struggle with those things. Do you know that in, in my time, it'd be 20 years in ministry this year, and I'm thankful for that, and that's a lot of uh, counseling and meetings after church or, or before church or <sighs> during church or whenever we need to, to deal with some things. You know what I've found is that most people that are dealing with something like what we might call depression or fainting, do you know one of the things in their life that is so recurring is that they're not thankful people? In fact, look down at verse number 15 of chapter number 4. Look at what Paul says. Chapter 4, verse number 15. For all things are for your sakes that the abundant, notice, abundant grace might through the, here we go, the thanksgiving of many redound to the glory of God. So what am I supposed to be thankful for? Uh, well, verse number 15, how about abundant grace? I, I am in need of that each and every day. And uh, though you might not think so, you are in need of that each and every day too. Look back at uh, chapter 4 and verse number, uh, look at verse number 3. These people that are fainting in ministry, that are ready to, to get out of it, or, or they're feeling burned out, or I'm just going to turn this over to somebody else, and I'm just going to you know, hang out in the church and not have to do anything. No, no, listen, here's maybe part of the problem is you're not thankful. 
Look at verse number three. Here's something to be thankful for, the gospel. If our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost. Verse four, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. So when, um, I appreciate the brother asking for testimonies, the, the hardest one is the first one. No one wants to be the first one to give the testimony. And so everybody just, oh, man, I don't want to, you know, answer or whatever else. But then when somebody else, oh, okay, well, I, I'll, you know, I can go second. No one wants to be first. How about um, anybody thankful that they're saved? Yeah. Uh, I was destined for eternal everlasting hell. But because of the glorious grace of Jesus Christ, I now have the opportunity to trust Him for forgiveness and for salvation. Praise the Lord for that. I'm, I'm grateful. And so I ought to be thankful, and not just on Thanksgiving, or not just on Easter Sunday, but um, the Tuesday after Easter, when it all goes wrong at work, I'm still supposed to be thankful. That's where it gets a little bit more hard. Most depressed people are not thankful, number one, for the gospel. And if you're saved, why? why? <laughs> I, I wish there was a mirror right here because I need to preach this to myself. Why do we, if we're saved and our eyes are to be on eternity and we sing songs and we make statements about we're not citizens of this world, we're citizens of another country and we, we're happy about that, then why do we focus so much on this life? Why is all that we think about this versus this? Well, because I wanted to let you get to know me a little bit and like me a little bit before I said this, but uh, we're just going to go ahead and go. It's because you and I are too focused on ourselves. Our world consists of us, and everything just revolves around us. Well, can I just help you? That's a very small universe. This place is much bigger than you and I. And the plan of Almighty God is much bigger than just you. Um, he can use a lot of different people. And by the way, He is. And He will continue to do that. And He wants to continue to use you if you'll let Him. If you'll enjoy ministry, if you'll not faint, as Paul is talking about to these people. See, we want it this way. We want, um, and here's where happiness comes in with the songs. We want saved plus circumstances. Well, I'm saved. Yeah, and that, I'm, that's great. I'm, I'm happy for that. But, but, you know, it's just it's not going well at work. Well, I don't see a caveat in the Bible. I don't see something added to, well, you know, saved is good, but, you know, I'll put a million dollars in your pocket. Now, if you watch the television preacher, that might be what they tell you. But that's not real life. I don't need saved plus circumstances. I need to be um, rejoicing in the Lord because of saved, period. And then when circumstances go good, I rejoice. When circumstances go south and they're rotten, guess what? I can still have joy in my life. You know what happiness is? Happiness is more based on my emotion, but joy is more... Um, well, last time I read my Bible, um, and it may still be in there, joy is a fruit of the Spirit. And so it is part of the very character of Almighty God. It's not something that I try to drum up. 
Well, man, he's a joyful person. You know, he just, he, uh, you know, he tries his best to just be joyful all the time. No, no, that's a fruit of the spirit, not a fruit of the flesh. Happiness is that emotion that I might feel. And so sometimes we get this, this mixed up and we read, you know, passages like 2 Timothy chapter 2 and, and it says, okay, well, we, we sorrow as, as uh, not as others that have no hope. And we think, well, I guess I'm supposed to be happy and I'm standing over the grave of a loved one. That's not what that means. It doesn't mean I cannot sorrow. Emotions have been given to me by God. But the issue is my emotions aren't supposed to uh, rule my life. I'm supposed to have the fruit of the Spirit, which comes from the very, very character of God, so that I can rejoice as others that have no hope, even when I'm feeling rotten, even when circumstances are bad in my life. Even when things aren't being answered in the way as I want them to be answered. If Jesus Christ is not sufficient or if his word is not enough, I I can very well be suffering from a bit of depression or, to use Paul's word, I might be fainting in my Christian walk. So, again, you don't have to answer. I want you to think, in your life, in, in how you live every day of your life, is Jesus Christ enough? Is His Word enough for you? Um, and just in case the gospel wasn't enough, notice verse number 14, chapter number 4. Verse 14. We just came off of Easter Sunday, Resurrection Sunday. Verse 14, knowing, that's a good thought, we know this, that He which raised up the Lord Jesus shall raise up who? Us. Raise up us also by Jesus and shall present us with you. So I am saved. Praise the Lord. I am on my way to heaven. Regardless of what this life brings my way and regardless of even how I might handle that, because I've trusted in Christ and He's forgiven my sins, I have eternal everlasting life. But not just that, I have the hope of a resurrection body. Oh, praise the Lord for that. I'm looking forward to that. By the way, do you know the book of Romans talks about the whole earth is looking forward to that day? When it will be redeemed by God Himself who created this and who has seen this world get broken by sin. And now the, 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 the very creation is groaning within itself, waiting for the day of redemption. Well, that's going to be a wonderful, wonderful day. But until then, realize I have something I can look forward to. We do the Lord's Supper on on Resurrection Sunday evening at our church, and I always try to just emphasize, listen, um, this is not just partaking in the elements and remembering what Jesus has done. We are also looking forward to Him coming again. We're doing this in remembrance until He does come again. See, He's not in the the little nasty-tasting piece of bread (laughs) and the bit of grape juice. He's not in that. That's false doctrine. No, no, it's just, it symbolizes that until he does come back in bodily form. And and we're looking forward to that. So back to chapter number four then. Let's continue looking at what are these things that will cause us to faint or to what we might call in our day and time to be depressed. Notice verse number five. Any narcissist in the room? (sighs) Make it about myself an awful lot. Look at verse number five. For we preach not, who? Ourselves. But Christ Jesus the Lord. And ourselves, your... Oh, man, what a bad word that is. 
servants for Jesus' sake. See, narcissism, pride has to be eliminated from my life. Elsewise, I will lose perspective on what being a servant really is all about. And I'll make servanthood and ministry about me. And I have seen this, and I know your pastor has seen this also. And if you've been around kind of church life, you've probably seen this. Maybe this has been true in your own life personally. But I can go from being a minister to making myself to be the ministry, and I want everybody to minister to me. And that's a bad place to be. See, my my perspective should be, I have been given this ministry, chapter 4, verse number 1, because of the, 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 the mercy of Almighty God, because of God's grace. And so God doesn't want me to faint. He doesn't want me to be depressed about this. He doesn't want me to, to, to burn out or whatever terms that we put on this. No, no. So here's the issue. Stop making it about you. Stop, stop having the perspective that if my circumstances aren't right, if it's not working out in my way, if things aren't going the way that I think they should... Well, then I'm just, you know, it's, I, I'm going to find a new church or find a new ministry or, you know, I'm just going to stop attending or whatever. That's the wrong attitude and the wrong way to handle those things. And I'm thankful that God at least gives us enough help to say, no, no, here's, here's the problem in your life. Ministry shouldn't become ministering to me. Instead, I should be looking to serve others, to minister to others. And all doing this, the end of verse number 5, for the Lord and to the Lord. And so because I'm sad, I feel bad. And so I, I, I have tough circumstances, and rather than being the minister, I become the ministry. But can I help, help you by looking at verse number 7, chapter number 4? We have this treasure. What's the treasure? If you're marking your Bible, just an arrow back to verse number 6. Here's the treasure for God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, hath shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. What an amazing thing He's given to us. But verse 7, but we have this treasure in what? Ah, this flesh. And it doesn't, uh, it doesn't work well <sighs> regularly. No, no, it's an earthen vessel. Notice, that the excellency of the power may be of who? God, not of us. Um, as preaching through this passage in our church, um, I just went ahead and called this all crackpots because that's what we are. We're, we're just crackpots. That's what verse 7 is saying. We have this treasure in these earthen vessels. And guess what? Yeah, you're not perfect. And by the way, God's not asking you. He knows you cannot be perfect in your flesh. Paul would say that in Romans chapter number 7. The things that I should do aren't the things that I'm doing. The things that I want to do are not the things that I should be doing. But because of the grace of Almighty God, He gives me power and strength to be able to serve in some way, to minister in some way, to to have some bit of of an excellency that He has given to me. Right there, verse number 7 of 2 Corinthians chapter number 4. So we, we walk unfaithfully with the Lord. And it leads to fearful circumstances, which causes us to do what? Well, verse 1, we faint. And it starts with what? Faithlessness. Do you know that faithlessness is where Satan does his best work? 
You, you doubt the Lord, you, you get frustrated with circumstances, and um, I'm telling you, as quickly as can possibly be, your enemy, who's Satan, will come in and say, if God really loved you, he wouldn't treat you like that. If God really loved you, he wouldn't, if, if he was really even out there, he wouldn't allow this to take place in your life. And because the focus then be, get, becomes a little bit on us, we start to listen. Instead of, wait a minute, what were the verses that we read? All things that pertain to life and godliness are found right here. Not in what the enemy tells me. By the way, not in what pop psychology tells me, but in what the Bible says. And so I side with the Bible. Now, we're going to hasten on and hurry and we'll finish. Look down chapter number 4 and verse number 8. And I want you to see the little impressions that Satan makes in your life and what it can lead to if we're not careful. If we start to listen to when he, he brings these little impressions in our life, it'll lead to the, the, the depressions that Paul gives to us. So look at verse number 8. Here's impression number one from the devil, from your enemy. We are what? Troubled on every side. <laughs> I mean, you know, you, you live in a rotten place and, you know, it's liberal and it just, you know, you're going to have trouble and no one believes like you and no one, you know, you go to church three times a week and come on, that's crazy. It's just a little pressure. You're troubled on every side. It's not working out. It's not, not going the way that you like it to be. So then what happens? What's the depression that comes from being troubled on every side? Well, Paul says it's being what? Distressed. Now, he's looking at it from the opposite side, and all I'm trying to do is let's, let's look at it from what it can cause in our life. See, we are troubled on every side, but the issue should be if we focus on the Lord, we don't have to be distressed. But do you know that the average person, let alone the average Christian person in a church just like this in Austin, Texas, is regularly distressed? Regularly. Well, I think the Bible has the answer. We're troubled on every side, and we listen to that little impression, and if we allow it, it'll become the depression of distress. Look at verse 8, the last part. We are what? Here's the depression or the impression that Satan makes. He brings perplexing thoughts, thoughts crosswise to what God's will is. We're confused about, man, what is the will of God here? What, what should I be doing? We're perplexed, and if we're not careful, look at what it will do. The cause is to be in despair. I just, I, you know, I, I can't discern what God's will is. I don't know what He's doing. I, I just, I don't feel Him. Or whatever little statements that we make, and we get in despair. Go on, verse 9. Here's one. Persecuted. Now, we might not see it in our area where um, our brothers and sisters in China are going through it right now. But there is persecution that takes place. By the way, um, if we're just going to be honest, our young people probably see persecution in the schoolyard much more than we do even in our workplaces. And they're, they're dealing with all kinds of pressures and persecutions about um, church life, what they wear, what they are involved in, what they will not be involved in. And by the way, for taking a right stand, they're getting persecuted and pressured, and we ought to be praying for them. 
Because here's what happens if we listen to Satan and, and we allow that persecution to affect us. Notice, we'll, we'll feel like what? We're forsaken. Where is God? Why is He allowing this in my life? By the way, um, that's, I've written down um, 1 Kings 19 right there because Elijah got a little bit persecuted. And what did he say? I, me, my. It's better that I would be dead than to keep on doing this. That's a, the wrong attitude. The wrong mentality. Verse 9 again. Cast down. But notice, but not what? Not destroyed. Why? Because Satan cannot do anything to you or to me that God does not allow him to do. It's just like Job in the Old Testament. I will allow these things to take place. And we would read in the New Testament that all of those fiery arrows of Satan are, guess what? They're filtered right through the Father's hands. The things that He allows in my life might not just be punishment, and sometimes we can think that it is, but it might be because He wants to grow you and strengthen you, and you might have an opportunity to minister because of how God used that circumstance in your life and how you handled it and how you brought glory to Him. He'll use you to help somebody else who's going through that same exact thing. If I will let Him. So we're talking about fainting. And for the Christian, for the believer, this fainting or depression is when a victorious child of the king, that's what the Bible declares you to be, a victorious child of the king who is more than a conqueror, living needlessly distressed in despair, forsaken and destroyed. And what happens? Verse 1, they faint. They faint. I'm going to get out. I, I can't take it anymore. And so we take ourselves out of the fortress of Almighty God, And we do what with the armor of God that we're supposed to put on every day? Eh, take it off, leave it to the side. I mean, it hasn't helped me, you know, to this point. Well, maybe the issue is you and I haven't tried it very well. Maybe we haven't done with it what God wants us to do. See, if I can get you to remember anything, I want you to remember this. You are not your past. You are not what Satan says you are. You are not what you have an enemy maybe in your neighborhood or in your family or at school or work. You're not what they say you are. You are what God says you are. You are a victorious child of His. You're not what psychology says that you are. You're who God says that you are. You are an ambassador for Him. And by the way, if I'm reading 2 Corinthians chapter 4 correctly, His grace is sufficient for you. It is. Every moment of every day. But forgetting that and being unthankful brings what? Those impressions of verses 8 and 9. And if I'm not careful, Satan can turn those things into depression and causing me to faint. As we bring this to a close, can I just ask a couple questions? Is God not with us? Yeah, He is. Is, is, is there... The opportunity for me to put my faith and trust in what God is doing, yes. Yes, there's, there's opportunity for me to do that. Again, verse 6. For God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, hath shined in our hearts, notice, to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But when that craftiness, when that subtlety, when, when Satan, who is your enemy, gets involved there, 
the tendency for you and for me when we deal in our flesh is to faint, get depressed. But can I turn your attention to verse number 10? There, there has to be a death of self and reliance on the power of Christ, always bearing about in the body. Notice, the dying of the Lord Jesus. But that's not where the verse ends. That the, notice, the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. In other words, God is not asking me or requiring me or expecting me to do and to live this Christian life, to to go to my workplace, to go to my schoolhouse. He's not asking us to do that in the power of our flesh. That will never get me anywhere. No, no. What he says is, verse number 10, that the power, the light of Christ is made manifest where? In our body. So while my flesh may fail, God lives in me. He dwells in me. He can give me the power if I will yield myself to Him to um, handle every problem, detail, struggle of life that I might come across. But depressed people, here, they, they so often, depressed folks, people ready to faint, they only want one thing, change my circumstances. I just want the circumstances to change. And so depressed people get alone, like Elijah, like Cain. And might I ask that those of you that have gone through difficult times, and if I'm um, around anybody, I'm around people that have gone in difficult times, and you all have dealt with some things, and I, I understand that. But can I ask that those of you that have seen God work through that circumstance, and you were enabled by Christ to to work through that and bring glory to the Lord and maybe even help somebody else, could I ask you, would you change what God brought about in your life because you think you might have done it better? Now, the answer should be a resounding no. No, I wouldn't change it. By the way, look down at verse number 17. You think what you're going through is tough? Well, guess what? Here's how the Bible defines it. Our light affliction. <laughs> doesn't seem very light to me. And God's not diminishing what's, what you're going through, but He's saying when you view that, that, you're, that circumstance in the light of all of eternity, that's a light affliction. Because notice, our light affliction, which is but for a moment. Yeah, but um, brother, this has been two, three, four years, ten years, whatever. I'm telling you, in the light of eternity, that's but a drop in the bucket. And we have to get off of thinking this way and think this way. Our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us, notice, a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we look not, you see that? We look not at the things which are what? Seen. This. I'm not looking at this. I'm not getting my perspective off of this but at the things which are not seen, the eternal things. For the things which are seen are what? Temporal. But the things which are not seen are what? Eternal. A couple of verses and we'll finish. I know. Did I say that about four or five times? I know. Um, We're almost done. Romans 8. Look at Romans 8. Romans 8, verse number 18. 
Now, I want you to think about it this way. One second, your first breath when you step into heaven will cause all of the trouble on earth to go away. Romans 8, verse number 18. For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time... By the way, who's writing? Paul. Any sufferings in Paul's life? Uh, yeah. Stoned, beaten, whipped, left for dead, shipwrecked. I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. So in other words, when I look and I say, well, you know, heaven's going to be great, but this is rough. No, no. It's not even worthy to compare this with how great this is going to be. That's what Paul's saying. But my mind so much is on this versus eternal. And, and the Bible is telling us, listen, Christian, I know it's difficult, but you need to have eternity in mind. So then the question comes as we finish this up, then are we responding to the, to the affairs of life, to the issues that we're going through, to these circumstances of life, are we responding doctrinally, truthfully, or are we responding emotionally? Roman, uh, Proverbs chapter 16. Proverbs 16. Just to remind us. Proverbs 16. So then, what's the answer? How do we have joy? Well, look at what the Bible says. All things pertain to life and godliness in the book. Proverbs 16, verse number 3. Commit thy what? Works. See, we have it backwards in our day and time. We think, I've got to get my thought life right so I can get my actions right. That's not how it works. That's not God's prescription. No, God's prescription is what? Commit thy works unto the Lord, and notice, and thy thoughts shall be established. Okay? Um, one more. Philippians chapter number 4. Philippians 4. Philippians 4, if you're taking notes or just want to write down a reference, write down Psalm 13 and Psalm 42, verses 5 through 8. And you can go back later and look at those. They're helpful. Look at Philippians chapter 4. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are what? True. Whatsoever things are honest. Whatsoever things are just. Whatsoever things are pure. What sort of things are lovely? What sort of things are of good report? If there be any virtue, and if there be any praise, think on on these things. So notice verse number 9. Those things which ye have both learned and received and heard and seen in me. What's the next word? Two little letters. Do. Commit thy works on the Lord. Guess what? You'll be able to think about what's going on in verse number 8. Commit your works on the Lord. Your thoughts will be established. What you've... Uh, learned, received, heard, seen in me, do, and the God of peace shall be what? He'll be with you. That's not a flowery, just a, well, I hope he is. No, no, that is a promise from God who cannot lie. So let's, um, and I'm preaching to myself as much as I'm preaching to anybody else. Let's stop this (laughs) thinking just on the circumstances of this life and let's understand, boy, in terms of heaven and eternity, This is really not as bad. So um, 
maybe I can still have joy when it seems to stink in my life. When the circumstances aren't, aren't working out in my favor or what I think is my favor, and I have to also remember that I don't know everything. And um, as much as I might care for you and appreciate you being here, you don't know everything either. You have to trust in your God because He knows what is best. He knows what is right, and He knows how to mold and shape you into what He wants you to be. And you and I, we won't get there on our own, but we will with His strength, His power, His help. Let's pray. Lord, thank You very much for the day. We're grateful for Your Word, and we're grateful for how it helps us. Thank You that we understand that all things that pertain unto our life and living godly are found in this book. And Lord, I pray that You'd help us to know what Your Word says so that we might live accordingly.